Good morning, Anchor Church. How's everyone doing? Good. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Um, We are going to continue in our series walking verse by verse through the book of Romans. But first, um, I have an issue with an entire family in our church. Um, Kevin, Chelsea, Dylan, and all your little kids, too. They're all Broncos fans, <clears throat> and today the Broncos play my Raiders, and yeah, and so I can't, <laughs> you're inviting them? They're the enemy. Come on. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. We, uh, we take our football pretty seriously, so I had to bust their chops a little bit, so. Um, what? <laughs> Um, so really quickly, uh, before I start, just a little bit about those signs, those yard signs. Uh, it's an easy conversation starter, like Dylan said. Um, it's, it's, it's an easy way to kind of get our name out there and, oh, you, you love your church. What, what church do you go to? Oh, Inc. oh, I've never heard of it. Tell me about it. Like, it's an easy way to, to kind of start a conversation with people. And, and here's why that's so important. There are, there's a, a, a uh, report out there, uh, um, a church like church growth statistics out there that uh, it was. This was a, a survey conducted by uh, of like over fifty thousand people that um, kind of helped people understand um, how churches grow. And here, here's how they grow. Right, um, surveys visitors that come to church. Okay, this is how they come to church: two percent by advertisement. Of the 50,000 people polled, only 2% said, I came because I saw an advertisement. 6% came by the pastoral invitation, okay? Over 50,000 people, 6% said, the pastor invited me, so I came. 6% by organized evangelism campaigns, outreaches out in the community. Out of 50,000 people, 6% said, it's because the, the church did this community thing, and I just got to be a part of that church, Invitation by friends or relative, 86%. 86% of church growth happens when we personally invite a friend or relative to join us. So I want to see this church grow, but it's not going to be a marketing campaign that does it. It's got to be the hands and feet of Jesus that does it. And the church signs are an easy way to start that conversation. And it's an easy way to get that invite going. So I want to encourage you on your way out today, grab a sign. They're free of charge. Like, don't, don't worry about that. Like, just take it and, and pray that God would use it to open a door for you. So um, we're diving into Romans chapter 8 today. Again, we're continuing in our series, Romans, a letter from the Apostle Paul, walking verse by verse through the book of Romans. Um, and we're, we're in Romans 8. Um, but before I dive into the scriptures, I wanted to read a blurb of an article from CEO Magazine to you. Here's, here's, that, here's that article. It says, feeling exhausted from the constant stress of the never-ending work cycle? then a night in a South Korean prison cell may be just what you need. Yes, you heard correctly. Burnt-out executives are swapping tropical beachside getaways for a blue prison uniform and a night spent on a cold concrete floor. At Prison Inside Me, CEOs are relishing in the extreme measure as a way to escape 
everyday life while on a mission to find their inner peace. The C-suite inmates are required to follow strict rules, including sleeping on the floor, no talking, no mobile phones, no clocks, and no mirrors. During the faux jail experience, guests are given a tea set, a pen, notebook, and yoga mat. And the menu includes a steamed potato, a banana shake, and rice porridge. Not exactly the luxurious and gastronomical affair you would hope for on a vacation. More than 2,000 inmates have chosen to become incarcerated in the fake prison's five square meter cells. That's about 20 square feet, if you, if you can't do the conversion. About 20 square feet, tucked in the mountain ranges of the Hongcheon, South Korea. The aim is for participants to reduce stress through disconnecting in solitary confinement, a method inspired by a woman whose husband worked 100-hour weeks as a prosecutor. Prison Inside Me was founded in 2013 in response to extreme work habits and incidentally high cases of stress and suicide in South Korea. The Asian nation works an average of 2,069 hours a year, making them the third highest country work-wise work in the world, only topped by Mexico and Costa Rica. It's no wonder executives are seeking voluntary lockup for a brief period of peace. So again, that's a little blurb from an article called CEO Magazine. And from that blurb, from that article, it kind of sounds like people are doing, willing to do almost anything to escape the hardships of life, right? To escape, escape suffering, to escape uh, you know, the, the, the tough things of life. Thousands of people are willing to put themselves in jail to escape because they don't know any other way to deal with with. The, the stress in their life. But people have found other ways to escape too. People have found other ways to escape, not just putting themselves in jail. Have you ever heard of Comic-Con? Comic-Con came to Dover a couple months ago. And um, if you don't know what Comic-Con is, it's the largest comic book convention in the world. And people use it as a way to like live a different life for a few hours. They they dress up and they pretend that they're their favorite superhero or they pretend they're their favorite supervillain and they, like, they act like they're this whole other person that doesn't even actually really exist. Like, so that's another, that's another way people escape. One other way people escape, this is how I used to escape um, like, a lot, uh, is video games. Video games. There are people who spend hours upon hours with a controller in their hand in front of a TV you know, and, and video games is virtual reality, right? And, they, and they'd rather spend hours upon hours doing that than, than dealing with the actual reality of their life. People are looking for ways to escape, escape their lives. How do you escape? What do you escape from? Now, hear me, hear me. Escape isn't bad all the time, right? Like we need to be able to disengage our minds. We need to be able to take a break from, from the things of life. But many people escape very frequently because they don't know how to handle tough things. They don't know how to handle hard times. They don't know how to handle suffering. They don't know how to handle difficulties. So they try to escape. They try to get out of their reality how are we supposed to handle the tough things that come at us? As Christ followers, what are we supposed to do when things get tough and, 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 and life comes at us? 
What are we supposed to do with the difficult situations that life throws at us? What are we supposed to do with those things? I think scripture has something really important to tell us about this today, and that's what I want to look at. I want to read that today, but, but first, would you pray with me? Let's pray this morning. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word, God, and I just pray that you would open our hearts this morning, open our hearts to receive your truth, whether it's, it's difficult to hear or not, God, whether it's, it's difficult or pleasing, God, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive your truth today, that we would become more like you. We love you, God, and we give you glory in Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you have a Bible, you can open it up or turn it on to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 18 today. Before I read, I have to let you know, I say this almost every week, whenever I preach, I preach from a perspective of there and then. What does that mean? To understand how the Bible applies here and now to our lives, we have to understand the context of Scripture. We have to understand what it meant there and then. I believe that with all my heart. It's, it's going to be extremely difficult to apply God's Word if we don't understand it, if we don't understand the original meaning of it. And that's, that's why one of our core values is learning, right? We want to become students of the Word of God so that we can understand it, so that we can apply it there. And then Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. We don't fully know yet. We don't fully know yet the glory that the Apostle Paul is talking about here. We, we don't fully know. We can't know. It's, it's glory that's going to be revealed when Jesus Comes, comes back, right? But Colossians 1 tells us to experience this glory, to, to receive this glory, that we have to suffer the Messiah's sufferings. We have to suffer with Christ. Verse 19, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. I've heard people point to verse 20 as proof that God isn't good. They suffered God's curse, right? All creation was subjected to God's curse. God cursed creation. God can't be good if he cursed people, right? Well, the, the, the curse that Paul is talking about here is the consequences of human sin, death and decay. That's, that's just the way he phrased it, God's curse. It, it was our own doing as humans, right? We disobeyed God and we introduced sin into the world. And, and because of that, now everything's dying, but he calls it God's curse. And then in verse 21, he says that creation looks forward to the day when, when it will join with God's children in, in freedom from death and decay. Paul's looking all the way back to Genesis 12, the God's goal is to restore all of creation, not just humanity, all of creation to the original way that God created it. That, that's God's goal all the way back in Genesis 12. That's, this is God's mission, and it becomes our mission when we're adopted into his kingdom, when we're, when we're um, brought from darkness into light, it becomes our mission too. Verse 22, for we know that all creation ha has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. 
We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. If you ever feel overwhelmed by living in a fallen world, if you ever feel um, just burdened by, by being a part of an unredeemed universe, we have an assurance from the Spirit of God. He prays for us accurately, and he prays for us um, persistently. The things, the yearning, the deepest yearnings of our heart that we don't even know how to pray for. The Holy Spirit is constantly and consistently praying on your behalf. He's constantly and persistently in interceding for you, interceding for me. That is the assurance we have with the Holy Spirit inside of us. That is why it's so important to be filled with the Spirit of God. Not just be a Christian. We need to be filled with his spirit because that is one of the benefits that the spirit of God is constantly interceding on our behalf. Verse 27, and the father knows, the father who knows all hearts knows what the spirit is saying. For the spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. The spirit pleads for us. The spirit's pleading for me. The Spirit's pleading for you. Even this, right this moment, the Spirit of God is pleading for us according to God's will. That means we never have to suffer alone. We never have to suffer in silence. The Spirit of God is, is making our needs known to the Father always. Always. Verse 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. This Bible verse gets used out of context a lot. God works everything together for the good of those who, who love him. Many, many people read this and believe that for the good of those who love God means my, my personal circumstances right now. That's the good that, that Paul's talking about. My personal circumstances right now, that God is somehow going to take everything bad and turn it into something pleasurable for you in this moment. That is an incorrect interpretation of the scripture. That's not the good that the apostle Paul's talking about. I want to see what he's referring to right now in the next verse, verse 29. For God knew his people in advance. And he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. This is the good that Paul's talking about. This is the good. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. That's the good. To become more like Jesus to conform to the image of his son. That's the good that the Apostle Paul is talking about. Not that my personal circumstances are now going to be pleasurable because God's going to take them and take away all the sadness in my life, right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying everything that happens to you is going to work to make you more like Jesus. I'm going to make sure of it. That's what God is saying here. This is the good that God is working towards. And, and really quickly, in verse 29, when it says that, that God knew his people in advance, uh, many people believe this is referring to predestination. If you don't know what predestination is, really quickly, predestination is the idea that God, before creation, decided who was going to heaven and who was going to hell, that we have no say in it. It doesn't matter what you do. You're either going to heaven or going to hell, and God decided it before 
the beginning of time, right? That is the idea of predestination. And a lot of people point to verse 29 and say, that's proof, proof of predestination. I, again, believe this is an incorrect interpretation of Scripture. This, that's not true. The, the people that God knew in advance is humanity. It's, it's all people. He, he chose all human beings to be like his son. You can read that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. He created human beings in his likeness to rule and reign over creation. We're all supposed to conform to the image of God. We are all the people that God chose to become like his son. Well, Pastor Ryan, are you saying that we're all going to heaven no matter what? It doesn't matter what we do. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. You might be a little confused right now because it feels like it sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. I'm not. This is a really complex subject that a lot of people, a lot of Christ followers debate on, and a lot of Christ followers actually like dislike each other because of interpretations of this. I just want to make sure we're being true to Scripture. Really quickly, I want you to think about an architect. Think about it like an architect, okay? Before any construction happens, an architect does what? Draws up blueprints. The, the plan for how things will go in a perfect world, okay? And then the blueprints are set and construction begins. And then if you've ever been a part of any construction project, if you've ever been a part of any uh, renovation project, issues will come up. Issues come up and the original blueprints generally have to go out the window. That's what's happening in Scripture. That's, that's what Scripture is kind of pointing to. God had an original blueprint. Remember, I just, I just said it. Genesis 1, God created all humans to be like him and to rule and reign over his creation. That was the original blueprint. Then when Adam and Eve disobeyed and they introduced sin into the world, that blueprint had to go out the window and Jesus, God had to in initiate another plan. He had to initiate a different plan. Redemption, redeeming the universe through Christ. So predestination isn't, isn't a thing. Predestination is not a thing. There's God, God didn't decide who's going to heaven and who's going to hell before anything ever exists. Like, God didn't do that. That's not the character of God. That's not the God that we serve. Like, it's just, it's just not. That was a little rant. I'm sorry I went off. Um, but I'm very passionate about it, if you couldn't tell. And I just felt like I needed to set the record straight. So, uh, anyways, suffering contrasted with God's glory suffering contrasted with God's glory. That's what this passage in Romans is about that we just read. Paul opens verse 18 by saying, what we, now, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us later. What is the Apostle Paul's goal here? I believe the Apostle Paul's goal is to give us hope to give us hope that, that things aren't always going to be a struggle, to give us hope that things aren't always going to go the other way, to give us hope that, that we're going to make it, that this is all going to be worth it. I believe his, that was his goal, is to inspire hope, that we won't always wrestle with our, our sin nature. He wants us to have hope so that we'll endure the trials of life. God wants us to be able to endure the trials of life, but, but he doesn't want us to just survive them. He wants us to be able to thrive in them. He doesn't want us to just grow, he doesn't want us to grow weary and be overcome by our circumstances. Today, I want to talk about three things that we can do. Three things that we can do that will help us endure anything that comes our way. 
Three things we can do that will help us endure any hardship, any trial, any circumstance that comes our way. Three things. The first thing that I want to talk about today that will help us endure any hardship and suffering is this. Focus on him first. Focus on him first. Psalm 123, verse 1 and 2 says this. I lift my eyes to you, O God, enthroned in heaven. We keep looking to the Lord, our God, for his mercy, just as servants keep their eyes on their master. There's an old hymn that, that um, expresses this sentiment beautifully, in my opinion. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There's a principle in that chorus that we need to hold on to. That when our eyes are on him, everything, kinda, everything else kind of fades away. That when our eyes are on him, nothing else really seems to matter all that much. When we turn our eyes upon Jesus, he becomes greater and our problems, our worries, our doubts, our frustrations, they become smaller. That's a principle that we need to hold on to. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13 says this, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The way I understand this scripture is that when our eyes are on him, Nothing is impossible for us. When our eyes are on Jesus, nothing is impossible for us. But that's hard because a lot of times we like to have eyes on ourselves or we like to have eyes on our family or we like to have eyes on anything else. It's hard to keep our eyes on him. Uh, when I was a, a young adult, um, the Holy Spirit did a lot of healing work in my life. There was a lot, of, a lot of junk and a lot of baggage that I just needed, I just needed help with, right? And I, I didn't know how to do that for myself, um, but God did. Praise, praise God he helped me with this. And um, as a young adult, God started bringing this pain. He started bringing this baggage up to the surface. And, and no matter what I did, no matter what I tried to do, I couldn't escape, like, that God was doing this in my life. I couldn't escape this, this healing process of, and, and dealing with my past hurts and pains. And, um, and there was probably a three-year period as a young adult where I, I had to confront all these past hurts and past pains. Pains of my, my father abandoning me when I was two. Pain of, of my stepfather abusing me and my brothers. Uh, pain of, of heartache from losing a, a serious relationship as a as a teenager, um, just these these things that kept being really painful and kept like it shaped the the person I was becoming and and it wasn't good and so God was bringing this stuff up to the surface so that I could deal with it um, and and you might hear that and you might say like Pastor Ryan isn't that kind of isn't that kind of cruel like why would God why would God bring that stuff up to the surface? If, you're, if, you like, if you like pushed it down and you're not having to deal with it, why would he want you to deal with it? 
Well, because the, like, if I didn't deal with the pain, if I didn't grieve the pain, if I didn't process it, if I didn't allow God to heal that pain in my life, I would have continued to live from that pain. I would have continued to live from that pain. And, and I would have been a terrible husband. I would have been an awful father. I would have been a hypocritical pastor if I didn't let God do the healing work in my life. So I decided, yes, God, I want, I want that. <laughs> do it, you know. So three years, he's taken me through this healing process of healing a lifetime of hurt and pain. And, and it, was, it was difficult. It was, it was emotional. It was, it was tough. Um, and if, if my eyes were on me, then I would have given up. If my eyes are on me, I would, I would not have gone through it because it was hard. And I, I didn't want that. But my eyes were on him, and my eyes, I, I was focused on him and what he wanted for me and what he had for me, and, and I, wanted, I wanted his promises. I wanted to be able to endure, and with the power of the Holy Spirit, I was able to confront the, the pain from my past, and I was able to endure the healing process, and now I'm, I'm able to live free from that baggage. I'm able to, to love my wife from the overflow of, of love that, that Christ has for me. I'm able to be the, the godly man that my kids need me to be. I'm able to, to, to be a, a man of character in this role as pastor. Not that I'm great. Not that I'm a great husband. Not that I'm a great father. I'm a lot better than I would have been if, if I hadn't let God deal with my junk, though. And I was able to do that because my eyes were on him. My focus was on him. I was able to endure to become the man God made me to be because my eyes were on him. So that's the first thing we can do to endure any hardship or suffering that comes our way. Focus on him first. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. The second thing we can do to help us endure any hardship and suffering that comes our way is this. Trust that he'll come through. Trust that he'll come through. Believe that, that he'll do what he said he would. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says this, And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. The Apostle Paul says, I'm certain, I'm certain that God will finish what he started. I'm certain that God is who he says he is. I'm certain that God is going to do everything he said he's going to do. That kind of, of trust allows us to hold on to hope. That kind of trust allows us to never let go of that hope. That kind of trust allows us to be still in our circumstances and know that he's God and we're not and that he's in control. I believe that um, Psalm 13 is a perfect example of this. And, and I just shared this psalm with somebody this week. Psalm 13, in my opinion, is a perfect example of this trusting God, trusting that he will come through. I want to read it to you really quickly. Um, it's, it's only six verses. It says this, O oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. Psalm 13 is a song written by David. Um, 
in the Old Testament before he was king of Israel. Um, David was beloved by all the people of Israel, and King Saul, his mentor, was jealous of him. And so he decided, you know what? I'm going to kill David. <laughs> like, dang. Um, talk about an unhealthy response to your insecurity, right? Um, he's jealous of David, so he's like, I'm going to kill him. And so he starts literally hunting David to kill him. And David is on the run. David starts running, and he starts hiding out in caves. Um, and, and David writes this psalm in response to everything that's going on. He's in, a, he's in a cave. He's by himself. And he says, God, what are you doing? Have you forgotten about me? My enemies have overcome me, and I've done nothing wrong. How long is this going to go on? If, if you don't do something, I'm going to die. If, if we're honest with ourselves, we've probably all felt that, that way at some point, whether, you know, whether it, our lives were really in danger or it just felt like, like it was. We've all probably felt that way at some point, right? God, where are you? Why does the suffering keep going? Why does it continue? Are you never going to do anything about this? But David doesn't stay there. David doesn't stay in that mental space. He does something that's really important. And this is how Psalm 13 ends. Verse 5, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. David in his anguish and sorrow reminded himself of what's actually true. David, in his anger and bitterness toward God, reminded himself of what's actually true. Despite his present circumstances, he reminded himself of what was actually true. David was, David was in his feelings, as the kids say. Uh, Trinity, did I get that right? In, in, in his feelings, did I use that right? Oh, come on, come on. She doesn't like that I called her out. I'm sorry. David was in his feelings, but he didn't stay there. He didn't stay there. He, he couldn't stay there. He trusted God. He believed God. He, he had hope in God. He believed that God is who he says he is, and he's going to do exactly what he said he would do. When things go wrong, we have to remind ourselves that God is good. When things get chaotic, we have to remind ourselves that God is in control. When our circumstances feel hopeless, we have to remind ourselves that he's our hope. Trust that God will come through. So the first thing that we can do to help ourselves endure any hardship and suffering that comes our way is, is focus on him first. That's the first thing. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Second thing is trust that he'll come through. Trust that he is who he says he is, and he's going to do exactly what he said he would do. The third thing, the final thing I want to talk about today that will help us endure any hardship and suffering is, is this. Make a determination. Make a determination. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself. And let me give you a little context of, of that verse. In the book of Daniel, Israel is enslaved by another nation, and they are exiled to a foreign country. And in this foreign country, the king of this country forced all the Israelites to um, worship the king and, and, and become a part of this nation and basically kind of forget everything that they had done um, in, in Israel. He was, he was trying to indoctrinate them all. Well, Daniel, he's a, he's a Jew. He's a devoted follower of God. 
he made the determination before he was ever in the situation how he was going to respond. Daniel made the determination before he was ever in the situation. He made the determination of how he was going to respond. Many times we're blindsided by life. We're blindsided by tough circumstances. We're blindsided by trials. We're blindsided by suffering. And we haven't made a determination of how we're going to respond in those tough things. Determining our response before we're thrust into a situation will help you endure any hardship, any situation that comes your way, any suffering. For those who are uh, married in the room, marriage is hard, isn't it? Marriage is, marriage is hard, isn't it? Yeah. Teresa, Teresa seconds me. Yeah. Marriage is, marriage is hard. Um, I will say this, and this isn't anything I've never said to Robin, so this isn't news to her. We've, we've had this conversation before. Marriage is simultaneously a gift and the single hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Simultaneously. It's, it's, it's that, and I've jokingly, um, I've told Robin that um, if she ever passes, if she passes away before me, there's not a chance I'm getting married again. Not a chance I'm ever getting, there's no one else I ever want to do this with. So, I love you, babe. I love you. Yes. I'm committed to you. Yes. Marriage is hard, and it's, but it's in that vein that Robin and I, when we were engaged, we made the determination that divorce is never an option for us. Divorce is never an option in our relationship. We made that determination. And before we even dated, before I even knew her, I made the determination that once I got married, I was never going to get divorced no matter what. And I understand how big that statement is and all the little details and all the little what ifs. Well, what if this? Well, what if that? Would you get divorced if this happened? I've, I've thought through all that stuff, and I made the determination, divorce is not for me. So I made the determination before I ever got into a marriage how I was going to respond when things got bad, because that's coming, right? I think it needs to be the same way for us in our relationship with the Lord. We need to make a determination of how we're going to respond when tough times come. We need to make a determination of how we're going to respond when we suffer, when we go through hardship, when we, we endure trials and tribulations. How are you going to respond? Are you going to respond in worship like Job? Or are you going to respond in selfishness like anybody else? We have to make a determination of how we're going to respond. I, I, wonder, I wonder how many marriages could have been saved, how many marriages that ended in irreconcilable differences could have been saved if, if going into it, the couple had made the predetermination of how they're going to respond when tough times come. Because here's the thing, I think a lot of people get married thinking, this is going to make me happy, not understanding that marriage is difficult. And so they don't understand like, Difficult times are coming, and we need, to know, we need to know how we're going to respond in those difficult times. Now, don't hear me, like, put down people who have been to, through a divorce. I have been a child of divorce. I've experienced it, and I know, like, sometimes it's, it's, it's legitimate and all that stuff. I'm not judging anybody, but I'm saying, like, the irre irreconcilable differences. The people who, who get divorced because, ah, oh, we just don't see eye to eye. Like, really? Like, 
what if you would have made a determination beforehand? How would things be different? So just, again, no judgment. I'm just, I'm just speculating. I'm just thinking out loud. So um, if we're going to endure any hardship, any suffering that comes our way, I believe we have to determine beforehand how we're going to respond in, in tough times. We have to resolve in our hearts that we're not going to give up. We have to resolve in our hearts that we're not going to give in. Man, there's a uh, former sports broadcaster. His name's Craig Sager. He passed away a few years ago from from cancer, and um, he was interviewed after his cancer diagnosis. Just and and he was asked about like <laughs> he was asked about um, how he felt about having terminal cancer, and um, he said, "You know, I've never learned so much about." enduring as I have now. He said, there's no hope that I'm going to live, you know, outside of a miracle. There's no hope that I'm going to live, but I've learned not to give up and I've learned not to give in to my circumstances. I'm like, wow. Like even, even in something that, that a situation that dire, you can learn to endure. You can learn to, to overcome. If we're going to endure hardships and suffering, we have to focus on him first we have to trust that he'll come through, and we have to make a determination that of how we're going to respond. Our present suffering is nothing when compared to the future glory that's going to be revealed in, in us. Worship team, you can come to the platform. What if, what if you actually decided to focus on him first? What if you actually decided to, to turn your eyes upon him first and not get distracted by anything else and you're looking to him and him alone? How would things be different for you? How would, how would things in your life change? I think you'd have a lot more peace and a lot less anxiety if, if your eyes were on him first. Maybe, maybe molehills wouldn't appear to be mountains if, our, if we were focused on him first. Imagine for a second actually being able to trust that God is who he says he is and that he'll do everything he said he would do. Actually trusting that God, God is who he says he is and he'll do everything he said he'd do. What, what would your life look like? I think we'd stop seeing failures in our lives and we'd start seeing opportunities to grow and, and learn. That's what trusting in the Lord can be. It can be growing opportunities and, and not, not more failure. What if, what if you made the determination to respond in faith and not in emotion? What if you made the determination to respond in belief and not in doubt? How would things be different in your life? How would your faith be different if you made this determination? If you made the determination never to give up and never to give in? I believe your relationship with the Lord would go to the next level. Things, things with God would never be the same because you experience this intimacy with him like you never have before because you're determined how you're going to respond when hard times come. You would experience life to its fullest measure. I believe that with all my heart. Focus on him first. Trust that he'll come through and make a determination. Let me pray for you this morning. God, thank you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you, you've empowered us to endure. You've empowered us to endure anything that comes our way. God, you've, you've given us the tools we need 
to be able to make it, not just survive, but thrive in, in a hurting and broken world. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I pray for those in the room today who, who may be struggling in the area of focusing on you first, God. I pray that you would draw them closer to yourself so that all they can see is you. God, I pray for those in the, in the room today who are struggling in the area of, of trusting you, trusting that you'll come through, trusting that, that you'll do what you said. I pray, God, that you would give them peace right now in the name of Jesus. God, and I pray for those who, who haven't made the determination yet of how they're going to respond when tough times come. I pray, God, that you would give, give them wisdom. Give them wisdom on, on, on how to conduct themselves as, as a child of God. Thank you, God, for your word, and thank you, God, that you use it to make us more like you. Be with us today, Holy Spirit with us today. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if, if maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't, you don't have a relationship with him, well, today could be the day where all that changes for you. Today could be the day where you, you turn your back on, on sin, you turn your back on darkness, and you turn towards the Father. You turn your eyes upon Jesus. Today could be that day for you. If that's you, you don't know God, but you want to, at the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so that I can pray with you. There's nothing, there's nothing like magical about raising your hand. I just want to identify who I'm praying with. And I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to single you out or anything like that. I just want to know who I'm praying with. So if that's you right now, you don't know Christ. You don't have a relationship with God, but you want one. At the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. Raise it high so I can know who I'm praying with. One, God loves you so, so much. Two, it's time for you to come home to him. Three, if that's you right now, raise your hand high so that I can know who I'm praying with. Raise it high. This is what I want to do right now. I want to lead us in a prayer a prayer of repentance, a prayer of, of faith and trust. And I want to ask everyone in the room to pray this prayer so that nobody feels singled out, nobody feels um, picked on or anything like that. I want to ask everyone in the room to pray this prayer. So um, if you're in the room or if you're online, repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I feel the weight of falling short of your standard. I know I have sinned against you and I repent today. I am focusing on you. I'm trusting in you. Teach me how to be like you. I'm yours. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 Can we give it up for those who may have prayed that prayer today? It's awesome. If you did pray that prayer to receive Christ today, whether you're in person or you're online, uh, let us know. Let us know. Um, come tell me or come tell someone at the uh, info table or um, let us know somehow. Email us. Give us a, a phone call. Um, we want to put resources in your hands. We don't want you to, to 
go on this faith journey alone. We want to put resources in your hand to get you started off right. And so, um, yeah, if, if you did pray that prayer or, you know, for the first time, or, or maybe you used to serve God and you, you walked away for whatever reason, but now you're back, like, welcome back. We want to put resources in, resources in your hands. We want to get you plugged into community here at Anchor, get you in a home group. So let us know. Um, what I want to do right now is I want to um, respond. I want to take a few moments and respond to the to the, the scriptures. I want to take a moment and respond to the Spirit of God in this moment. So the worship team is going to lead us in a song. You can sing the song if you'd like. You can sit and meditate if you'd like. You can pray. Um, the prayer team is going to come up. Um, and they're going to be available to, to be prayed with um, for you to be, you know, for them to pray with you. So, um, but we, we, want, we want this moment, we don't want to rush through this moment. We want you to respond to the Spirit of God in this moment. Amen. Really quickly before we dismiss, there are a few next steps that I want to give us. And the next steps are something we can tangibly take and apply this week to next steps are something we can do to, to take the message and, 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 and live it out this week. And so a few next steps. This week I will memorize 1 Corinthians 9.24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. This week I will pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help me endure any hardship and suffering that may come. And this week I will sign up for a home group. Home groups are the, the on-ramp to community here at Anchor. And, and we want everyone to be plugged in. And so um, sign up for a home group. It, you won't regret it, I promise. So um, let me pray for you really quickly and we can be dismissed. God, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, God, that you've empowered us to endure anything. God, that you've equipped us to endure any hardship, any suffering that comes our way. And God, I'm so grateful for that. So grateful. Thank you, God. Empower us to be your witnesses this week as we go um, to work, as we go to school, as we go out in, you know, in public, to the grocery store, wherever we go, God, empower us to be witnesses for Jesus. Thank you, God. We love you. And finally, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement allow you to live in harmony with one another according to the command of Christ so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, with a united mind and voice. Amen, 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 amen. Thanks for being here, everybody. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Have a great week. Don't forget to take your yard sign on the way out.